this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. It is Sam Goodman, the Hop Nerd, bringing you another episode of the Hop Nerd Podcast. Before we jump into this thing, do me a favor, head over to www.thehopnerd.com. Follow along on all things social media at The Hop Nerd, except for Twitter, because it is super duper special. It is The Hop Nerd. One, send me an email, Sam at thehopnerd.com or thehopnerd at gmail.com. Make sure you check out our live streams that are happening in every Wednesday and every Friday. Wednesdays at five, Fridays at eight. We look forward to having you there. You can call in, you can text in, you can do all that kind of sort of fun stuff. Again, you can also check that out at www.thehopnerd.tv every Wednesday at five, every Friday at eight, and you can watch us there. So today is going to be super duper awesome, super duper special. I had an amazing conversation with the one and the only Tabitha Laser, and it was super fun. You'll hear me say it in here a couple times, but I'm pretty sure Tabitha and I became best friends <laughs> during this conversation. I look forward to having her back on, continuing to have a, to continuing to having more conversations with her. She is awesome. I know you're going to like it. I know you're going to love it. I know you're going to have to have more of it. Tabitha has a book out called Organization Culture Killers Deadly, Expect- Deadly Expectations 1, uh, and you'll hear more about that, and it sounds like there's going to be more, so make sure you check out her website, T-A-L-A-S-E-R, that's T-A-Laser with an S, dot com. She's awesome. I won't hold you up anymore. Let's jump in. Well, I am joined today by the one and the only Tabitha Laser. How are you doing today, Tabitha? I'm great. How are you? Awesome. I'm doing great. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm here. I am socially distanced. I'm isolated away from everyone. I'm I'm having fun with that. That's 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 kind of what we were just chatting about before we officially kicked this thing off. Is is how how good there's some actually some silver lining in that. So that's pretty cool. We're talking about some of the positives of getting to spend more time with their families and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so welcome to the podcast again. I'm, I'm just happy that you're here. Um, we can go ahead and kick this thing off. Do you mind to tell everybody a little bit about who you are? Uh, all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a initially a, a safety nerd by trade. So I love the fact uh, that your, yeah. your podcast, the name is just perfect. Um, and I, I've honestly been in the business for over 25 years. And just recently transitioned into more of a leadership coach and um, culture advisor for organizations. And, uh, you know, I've got two beautiful boys, 11 and, and 14, um, going on 20 and 40. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I'm also an author. So I write from home and go around and speak and share the message with future leaders, uh, how they can actually build a better future. For you know the next generations, so yeah, I'm really I'm really honored to be on your call, and, and hoping I can shed some bits of wisdom that your audience will get something from. No, absolutely, and I, I'm I'm sure I'm sure that that will be the case. Um, just just doing a doing a little bit of research into you before we before we got together here. You've had experience in just about everything, huh? Around the safety world. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's you interesting. Have a really diverse background, which I always find interesting. Yeah, I always found it interesting as I went to different organizations. I was, 
I was a behavioral safety person. That's what I went to school for uh, with a psychology minor. And as I jumped, you know, went from one company to another, I actually helped them with their strategy and build their culture around safety. So when I go to a different industry, they'd be like, well, you don't have industry experience in this industry. And I would have to convince them during the interview process that I don't have to have experience in that industry because overall safety and health is safety and health, whether right. you're at home, you're at work, you're on the airplane, you know, wherever you are, it, it's, it's all pretty consistent. There may be some regulatory differences, but that's as easy as Google nowadays. You know, back in my day, you know, you actually had to like go to the library or right. call somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm aging myself there, but uh, um, you know, it's, it has definitely been an interesting ride and it's helped me get to where I am now, where I'm able to give advice to multiple industries and multiple different groups of professionals, not just safety professionals, because I've had the experience from being, you know, the safety person in the trenches all the way up to the C-suite level, um, to a consulting level for multiple businesses. So um, having that diverse experience has is, is really helped me get to where I am today. And I'd recommend it to anybody if you have the opportunity to. Right. And and that's one piece that I, that I see. I mean, even as you kind of touched on moving into the consulting world, uh, just your portfolio of clients has been massive, right? I mean, I, I see yes. so many, so many just, just, just such diversity in that. Um, that's got to be super interesting going around to all those different, different industries and different organizations and seeing how things are done from here to there. That's just got to be super interesting to see. It is. It is. It is definitely fun. And I love putting on the uniform or whatever and going out in the trenches. I've climbed the, you know, 30 something stories up into a wind tower with the guys and worked up there for eight hours with no bathroom, by the way, the guys don't need one. Uh, (laughs) Girls need to learn how to meditate to get through that. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's just, it's so exciting to go into different industries in different places and see the different cultures and be able to do gap assessments and break it down to see where the similarities are. And there mm. are quite a few similarities of gaps, no matter what industry you go into. Right. And, and then also to really connect with the people. That's something I think we forget to do. Yes. You know, uh, as you go to different organizations, you have to have your listening ears and eyes open, right? Right. Because you have to find out what's going on. You can't just go in and say, oh, here OSHA says, and you can do an audit, but it's not going to add a lot of value. It never goes over very well. No, they fix (laughs) that one thing. They hide things from you. Um, So getting the chance to go to multiple different clients keeps you, keeps it real, I guess. You know, it's always new and exciting. So, so what, what first drew you into this kind of wacky world of occupational safety and health? <laughs> oh, that's actually a, a funny story. I lifeguarded forever because it uh-huh. paid very well and you could start when you were 15. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I did that and not even recognizing that was safety. I think I broke right. like every safety violation that could be made <laughs> at that time. I was young. Um, and I did it in college as well, but I started off in, in criminal psychology. You remember Silence of the Lambs? I wanted to be right, right. into that. And uh, a year in, I was like, man, I don't like this criminal justice stuff. 
And I loved the psychology, but I didn't really see a future in it for me. Like you have to get a doctorate and write books mm. before you, you know, can really make a lot of money in that field. It's very stressful. And um, my dad knew somebody who had graduated from there and got a safety degree. So that at the time was um, Central Missouri State University. Mm. Go Mules. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, now it's uh, University of Central Missouri. But he said, you know, hey, they have a safety program. And I'm like, what's that? And he's like, I really don't know. They tell us to wear, they tell us to wear hard hats, you know. And, and he said, he said it was a, you know, a really good profession and there's not a lot of women in it. Hmm. Boy, boy, was there not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I went, you know, the next day and changed my, changed my whole curriculum. Um, I thinking, oh, well, it's kind of like lifeguarding. <laughs> 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 a little off, a little off. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I got sucked into it because my my whole life I've wanted to make the world a better place. I'm one of those right. weird people, right? And and help other people. Um, and this I just fell right into it. And the psychology really clicked into it. I think I was one of the first people mm -hmm. to recommend um behavioral safety. In fact, I'm the only graduate to this day from that school who actually has a degree that it was modified for me to get that. Um, working with the dean and um, yeah, I just love it. I love working with the people. I love working all throughout the entire organization. And it's, I would say it's one of the most hated positions in every company, which I get a thrill from mm -hmm. because I make it my personal mission to not be liked, but to be respected. Right. There you go. <laughs> you know, if I can yeah. get, if I can do that, I'm winning. If there somebody comes up to me and says, Oh my gosh, I did this and it actually saved my life or it helped me at home. That's where I get my gravitas from. It's it's the little wins, right? It's those little wins yeah. that make make a huge difference. Yeah. That's so interesting because I think we all find ourselves. Uh, most safety, I always ask that question because because most safety professionals have something similar, a very interesting story, right? And right. how they found themselves in this profession. Um, for for me as well, I mean, it's not. It doesn't seem like until really in recent years that you really hear folks going, oh, I know what occupational safety and health is. I know a school mm -hmm. that has a degree in that, and I, that's the career mm -hmm. path that I want to go. That seems like, that seems pretty modern, right? Oh, um, it's it's still rare. So I've worked with the leads of STEM, you know, mm -hmm. the STEM programs. Guess what? Yeah. Of all the engineering degrees there is out there, of which safety really is, should be considered an engineering type right, degree. Yeah. I know we changed ASSE to ASSP, but really we should be looked at as engineers. By the way, people, if you're listening, you get paid a lot more as an engineer than a professional. Um, <laughs> so if you can rock that on your resume, you know, and do just it. it in your interviews, do it. Because um, engineering is looked at way, way with more clouds anyway. Um, safety is a, is a necessary evil in most companies, no matter what they say behind closed doors. Believe me, they're, usually complaining, right. not always, not yeah. always. I've had people yell at me like, my management's not that way, you know? And then yeah. three months later they call and they're like, I've been laid off because we were, <laughs> you know? Um, so I just kind of roll with it, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's definitely a path that, you know, can be lucrative. Yeah. And that's, that's the piece. I, I love to share that with folks because I'm sure you get it a lot. I, I've gotten it a lot. I still get it pretty regularly. Uh, I get it in my in my LinkedIn messages all the time. Hey, what do I need to do to become mm -hmm. a safety professional, right? And mm -hmm. the first thing that I like to share with people is all the awful stuff. And I think that's oh, yeah. only fair because when I first started down this path, as with most, you only see the the really good stuff. 
and you're like, oh, this job is, it's a good job. It's this, it's that. and then you, then you don't realize a lot of the other kind of not so great stuff that you have to learn to deal with. So I, I tell people a lot of the, the not so great stuff, not to just, not to scare them away by any means, but to prepare yeah. them because I don't think I would have turned away from the profession if I knew a lot of that kind of, you know, some of the undervalued pieces that we're just kind of hinting at there. Mm-hmm. But I think I would have been better prepared for it. I would have yeah. been less frustrated as I went through my career. I think if I was yeah. aware of it out of the gate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we in the U S I'll say, you know, we, we suffer from a, a, a drastic lack of true leadership. Mm-hmm. We have managers all over the place. Um, I define a difference between the two. And, and I say that because you say the awful stuff, you know, I went where I went to college, they prepared you for a lot of the awful stuff. Um, Mr. Womble, man, he was like in mining and scared the pink a lot of everybody (laughs) with all his pictures. And, you know, um, he, he, we, we went in with the eyes going, this could be really scary. And, you know, we could be put in a situation, an ethical challenge. I mean, we had all those classes. I don't know if they still do, but, um, and I don't know if all schools do, but the, the leadership skills that you need is not offered even in management programs anymore. I mean, in the U S it's all like from grade zero, right? You stand in line, you do what you're told, you turn in your homework, you take your tests. That's not leadership. And there are some programs that are trying to introduce that, but they're so severely lacking in what a true leader needs to be. And that's been some of the hardest stuff to learn. Um, and I, I see that with all types of managers and supposed leadership, unless they're born leaders, it, it's not just our program that needs to get more, bring some more truth into the, into the education program. Right. Cause we go out with, you know, sugar coated eyes going, it's all right. going to be great. And then right. it's like, whoa, what do you mean? I need to listen more. I am right. listening. I hear everything you say. And then to learn listening isn't just listening with your ears. It's actually body language, how you respond, how, how you're, how you're interpreting their responses. Uh, it's crazy. We don't learn it, that stuff. It's so interesting because you're, you're hitting on something that's near and dear to me as well, because that's something that, that I find um, with, with organizations. Um, when I get the folks that, that uh, I get a lot of the, uh, the, the, the DMs and the EM, the, the emails of like, Hey, this is what's going on. Can you help me? Um, as we all do, right? We, we all kind of mm-hmm. get them like, absolutely. What, what's going on? Um, and I find that that seems to be at the root of a lot of stuff is that there seems to be a lot of managers of things and very few leaders of people. Yes. We're really yes. good at managing things, right? Managing yeah. programs and managing, managing widgets and all this kind of stuff, but we're really not good at leading and inspiring people. That seems yeah. to, seems to be something that we're just not so great at overall. No. no. And we're getting worse at it. So if you yeah. look at, yeah. at all the complaints about the, 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 millennial group, right? I think they're wonderful people of wonderful. They have, gosh, so many ideas and so much energy and they're really trying to push the boundaries and, right. and, and progress our, our human humanity as a whole. Right. But the, the challenge they have is without that leadership, the leadership skills, which you definitely don't get from online programs. And we're missing more in school because we teach to the test now, right? Schools lose funding if they don't get good grades on those tests. So Anybody can tell me I'm wrong, but I'm sitting here witnessing it with my kids. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, when you teach to the test, they miss the, the life lessons that mm-hmm. are necessary. So as these guys are getting out there, what's happening is when they struggle with their leadership, what do they do? 
Yeah, and in most yeah, in most quit, of those situations, right? exactly right. And that, yeah. I think you're seeing that in most of those generations, they have a tenure. Uh, if I'm, I'm air quote pulling this out of the air, but I, I think I recall reading that they usually last about three to five years at an organization, and then they're kind of off to the next one, right? Yeah, I'd say it's even less now. I don't have the statistics either, but I'd say it's less. And the reason this is happening because a true leader could be the guy in the trenches, mm-hmm. right? The leader is the person who inspires, educates, motivates, supports, and then goes out in the shores, right? So you could be the guy in the trenches. And if you're having a problem with your leader, sure, you can quit and go somewhere else. But guess what? You're going to have the same problems and you're not fixing any problems. You're just exasperating the problem. So instead, uh, uh, people who know leadership skills are taught them, they can actually lead up, right? So right. they can lead, they can actually educate and motivate their leaders to be better leaders. And I That's think safety people are primed for that position. Everywhere we go, we touch all the different departments. And we have the ability and the power. We got to create the authority in a lot of times. Mm-hmm. But when we just quit or we just complain, they won't let us hire more people. They won't, I don't have enough time, this, that, and the other. Then all we are is complainers. We're not part of the team trying to drive the right. organization to success. Right. And, and I think you hit on some stuff there that's, that's really, really important. Um, because I, I find that to be true so often is that, most folks find themselves in position of leadership or in positions of leadership, um, usually not because they're really good at all those things that we were just talking about, right? They find themselves in those positions of leadership because they're really good at GSD, getting stuff done. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> they're, they're really good at getting stuff done. Yeah. And um, more often than not, it seems that the organization for organizations just seem to believe, well, if they're good at getting stuff done, they're going to be good at everything else leadership wise. So most mm-hmm. organizations that I come into contact with, they just seem to forget that part that maybe you need to do some education around leadership skills. Maybe you need to do mm-hmm. some education around empathy. Maybe you mm-hmm. need to do some education around those kind of stickier, warmer, fuzzier. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I like to refer to them as essential skills because yes. they are right. And to, to really get folks in tune with that, you still have to teach folks how to do that. Like right. you mentioned that every now and again, you'll find that natural born leader. But right. that's really the rarity, right? That's that's usually, and that's not very common in folks that find themselves into those positions. Right. And I think a lot of that goes to that EQ versus IQ, right? right. If you've read on EQ. In fact, when my first book came out, that's um, one of many comments I got where, oh my gosh, the direction you're going is the next big thing to EQ. Like right. and- going in that direction where we need those leadership skills. We need those basic premises of our foundation of our organization set before anything can be successful, right? Otherwise you're just recreating the wheel over and over and over. And that, that's where everything's happening, right? I mean, when we, um, in organizations, we like to think about things on these gigantic grand scales of, of change and improvement and betterment, but mm-hmm. most, most of that betterment and most of that kind of stuff occurs from, from employee to leader, right? It's kind of right there. Mm-hmm. At, that, at that end of things. And if we're, if, if we're not educating our folks and how to, to really do that, we're really doing mm-hmm. our whole organization a disservice because that's mm-hmm. all those little tiny interactions is really what's leading to the greater culture. Right. Yeah. In fact, if you go to my, um, on my website, I do these, uh, the journey is what I call mm-hmm. it, the journey to better. And I do journey updates. And one of them on there is talking about leadership and how we always say we lead from the top. And I think that's a principle issue 
that's causing this conundrum. So sorry, there's a lot of big words, right? But what's happening (laughs) is when you lead from the top, if you want to grow, do you think of educating your people to build better, to lead better? Are you already at the top leading? So you lead down, right? right? And that you more manage, right? right? So what I'm trying to, which it'll probably happen after I die. Honestly, that's how change happens. But right. what I'm trying to get the, the the culture around the world to change to is that we actually lead from the basement. Yeah. Well, no matter what department you're in, what or if you're corporate or whatever, we lead from the basement. So if you imagine, you know, you've got your foundation that you define and implement everything that's the first, you know, the floor of the first floor. And you're under there in the basement holding it up. You built that floor. You Mm -hmm. found where to put your building, all of that. And you're holding it up. And you are educating everyone above you or making sure they're getting educated on how to continue building bigger and better all the way to the moon's limit, right? Keep going. And um, that's that mind shift, just shifting the way we think will slowly encourage leaders that, hey, we're down here in the basement holding this up. And if we don't give these guys the leadership skills they need, this building's going to crush us. It's going to collapse in on us. We have to educate them. We have to support them with the correct resources. We need to define the expectations for our building so they can keep building and building. But if you're leading down, they're sitting on the top, drinking their martinis or yelling at everybody or whatever Mm -hmm. in order to build a better business to keep growing. People either have to backstab them, climb over them, or, you know, just stay down. And that's, that's a big problem right now. We have the wrong mindset. Yeah. And it's such a shift. And that's what I found to be true is is more often than not, it seems like organizations, uh, it's, it's really a change in overarching approach, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of, it's kind of real, it's a real change in overarching approach that for so long, these organizations, they really constructed themselves and led with this idea that it was um, really top driven with accountability mm-hmm. up. And mm-hmm. that real shift that I'm seeing happening in organizations becoming more enlightened to this stuff is really that they're starting to understand that it's bottom driven with responsibility down. And that's such a shift in things and the way that things happen in most organizations, mm-hmm. right? That's a huge mm-hmm. change. It's such a change in direction. Um, yeah. And that really leads us down that path of, 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 of your book. You mentioned it. Um, organization culture killers. You you wrote a book. What what took you down that path of writing a book? Yeah, so that's just the first of many. Um, I'm working on the second one now of the first set. So this is um, deadly expectations, mm. and it's it's broken into four quadrants. So the the first one is defining your expectations, right, and what's necessary to do that. Because if you don't define your expectations correctly. From the get-go, then you're always going to have cracks in your foundation. You're never going to have a strong foundation. And what drove me to start writing the books was actually the consulting work. Because um, I went from working from organization to organization, help them build their safety and health programs, um, wear multiple hats, like I'm sure many of your listeners do, right? Um, I think I've been an engineer and other things. But when I got, you know, so I'd spend a couple years there getting things put in place, educate and empowering the folks that would lead it going forward. And then I'd go somewhere else. But when I went to the consulting world, I'm like, Ooh, this is going to be fun. Um, what I found was 10, you know, with 1800 clients for the organization I worked for, 
And I was the global health and safety practice leader. So I was the one when any of their clients had health and safety needs, we would come in and give them some guidance, basically coaching and possibly gap assessments and things. And doing that, going from one every two years to going to 10 to 20 a month. So if you can see, I saw like trends right. out the yin yang, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I was, it was almost, it was almost depressing because the more I saw it, the more I saw how poor leadership really is hmm. because they'd be like, check the box. This was done. Go tell everybody how great we are. Um, and they weren't, right. they just did their, did the assessment. They did some training and, oh, we're great. They didn't ever expand on that, right? Like to continue to make sure it was ingrained and everything. And at the end of a couple of years in that, I just, I was deflated. And I felt like what I was doing was good, but I wasn't making a big enough impact. I have kids, you know, I'm 11 and 14 years old that are going to go into this world and it's not getting any better. If anything, it's getting worse. We're getting better at with all the all the social media and everything. We're getting really good at sugarcoating stuff. Mm, yeah, you know, talking but not walking the talk, and um, and like really pulling the wool over um people's eyes. And I don't want my kids to grow into that. That's why one thing with the the, the coronavirus, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm seeing some value getting the kids here, learning life lessons, learning about work-life balance again because it's been missing for a long time um and i just finally one day i said you know what i'm gonna resign i shocked everybody (laughs) (laughs) i said i i can't write a book and be in this environment i need to step out and i had all i keep notes i'm like oh ocd and all of that so i have notes and graphs and stuff that's a safety person thing right oh yeah (laughs) we we all do that (laughs) Yeah. So I did that. And, you know, I said, I'm going to write the whole, all the books in like a month and then realized I needed this, that I didn't know everything. I still don't, but uh started interviewing some folks and more and more folks started to jump in. I thought it was interesting that some of the biggest leaders of some of the largest organizations, some were gung ho, you know, but don't ever mention my name because I'll be fired in the government, especially. Right, right. Um, but then some organizations that you think are so great, they were their their communication department refused to let their leaders speak to me, even though mm-hmm. I said I wouldn't mention names. Wow. So that was an eye opener. Um, but yeah, it's been an interesting path and, and it's received great reviews so far. I think it's a slow crawl because people don't want to see the negatives, even though I present them with the positives. Um, it, it's hard. We want the thing that says learn to be the best in the world. We don't want the things to say, Oh, you're, you're killing your culture. Right. And doing the, the, you know, um, deadly practices. Those are the things we do with good intention that actually secretly are undermining our, you know, and and killing our company. Right. And we do it all the time. And I I completely relate to what you're saying there because it's, it's, I think that uh, most, most folks out there listening to this, at least in my audience, most of them were safety practitioners and leaders um, or in and around human organizational performance. Um, I can completely relate to that. And I say that because I, I think they will too, that we, for me, my personal journey with that is I found myself to where I was so frustrated and burnt mm-hmm. out with just um, air quotes here, traditional safety and the approaches mm-hmm. of traditional safety of a beat to better <laughs> type yeah. of things basically. Yeah. 
And that's ultimately what kind of the long story short, that's ultimately what led me down the path of human organizational performance. I mean, there's many mm-hmm. situations of going out and kicking rocks, you know, and going, I'm going to go before I found myself in a position where I was like, okay, this is home now. Right. I found where right. I need to be. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's very relatable. And I think that's awesome that you went down the path of, of writing that book to just try to make things better. That's awesome because that's what we throw around here all the time is, uh, we just want to make the world a better place to work. Um, right. I, th- I think you, you, you touched on some really important things there. Um, but yeah. it's exactly that of just, just trying to make things better. And we're trying to find ourselves into a position to where I really like that you bring up the, the negative. Because I agree with you, folks want to hear, organizations especially want to hear, here's the sugar-coated pill. Give me mm-hmm. a program that's polished that I can run with. Don't tell me about any of the bad stuff that's going on. But especially as I find organizations as they transition more towards um, human and organizational performance or cultural betterment in general, you really have to acknowledge where you've been. Right. You want to learn. move on. You really have, you have to, to acknowledge. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You have to learn. That's really the only tool. That's the only weapon that we have in this fight is learning, right? You, right. you, you have to learn and you have to be willing to, to admit when things just don't work. Right. right. <laughs> Cause right. I find that all the time, especially in the safety pace, the safety space, because safety is, is super special, right? We can always add to, but we can never take away. Right. But we need to. We right, need exactly. To, you know? Exactly. That that one, like, here's a regulation and we have to follow it is the big one. If anybody's listening, just because there's a regulation doesn't mean you have to follow it. Right. If you can right. go, and this, the rest of the world already knows this, and we just can't, we can't come to reality with it, many of us. Um, if you can evaluate the risk of the regulation compared to what you're doing, and you can justify that doing complying with that regulation will in do you know in, increase the risk right. to your organization and the health safety whichever and you document that guess what y'all it's just like anything else you're not going to be fined for it i've gone up all the way to dc on many of the regulations and i in when i was in california i had many of the state regulations amended because the way wow. they were written was actually increasing risk. Well, so we forget that about step, that, right? Grow that courage. And guess what? When you do that, your leadership's going to see you in a different light. Boom. Because yeah, exactly. you're not there to make them do something. You're there to make sure what they're doing works for the organization. Right. And that's, that's exactly it. We, we've, we had that, we've had that conversation on this podcast quite a bit talking about malicious compliance. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's exactly it. I, yeah. That's awesome. That is awesome. So, um, for folks out there, we're kind of talking down this, this cultural path. And I do have to say it's not here yet. So I, I haven't got the opportunity. It comes, it gets here Friday. So I actually ordered a copy of your book. I look forward oh, great. to it. I haven't, I haven't got a chance because it's everything's in the world of shipping is obviously moving very, very slow right yes. now. <laughs> so yeah. Amazon, Amazon hooked me up though. So it's still going to be here Friday. So I look forward to, to digging into that. I'm going to be, it looks super interesting. Right. Um, yeah, and if anybody does the audiobook, if you can get over the fact something's wrong with my voice in the beginning, I kind of sound like a robot. Oh. Um, I actually listened to it for the first time a month ago and I was like, oh my gosh. Uh-oh. That's some really <laughs> good material there. You know, it's really, I hadn't read my own book since I published it. And I was, I was like, it was like opening my own eyes again and then scaring me about the second book. Like I got to do it just as good or better. Um, but yeah, if you get the opportunity, I've got it. Price the Kindle book, I think, as low as I can price it. I think it's 99 cents. The audio oh, wow. book is as low as I, I make no money on my books. Wow. Um, and even the paperback and hardback are a zero. I make zero profit on them. I just oh. want the message to spread. And if you call me, I'll even give you a discount for 
large orders, I'll give you 50% off if oh, you want to do large cool. orders. Yeah. I just want there the message out there. Yeah, there you go. And I, I look forward to digging into it. And I'm, I'm going to have to check out the audio books. I'm the nerd that usually does both because mm-hmm. I like, I like to have the book to be able to scribble and highlight and, you know, yeah. kind of go back through, but I like the audio book for the convenience. As with most, most of the folks out there in a profession, I'm, I've spent a lot of will time. So it's, it's yes. nice to, it's nice to yeah. be able to, to listen in on a book. Um, and that's really where we've been going with most of this conversation. If folks can't tell, we're talking organizational culture, right? That's, that's really, really what we're, what we're talking. Um, and I find that most of our safety folks out there, um, that's why, that's why I find this conversation extremely important, um, is that most of our safety folks aren't really in tune with organizational culture that well, right? I think no. you, it, it seems to be rare. We find a lot of compliance specialists, um, and our position is evolving so much that we've always had to kind of be jacks of all trades. Um, yeah. But we really find ourselves into the position now, especially as we move down this world of culture and human organizational performance and all this stuff that's kind of growing. Um, we really have to be able to fill in that hat. We really have to be able to advise on those issues. Um, for those folks out there that are not really in tune with that, how would you describe organizational culture to those people? Oh, gosh. Um, it's it's the way we do things around here, period. And, mm. and I'm glad you asked that question because as safety professionals, we're often told we have a we have a bad safety culture. Mm. And it's blamed for a lot of things. When in all honesty, culture is culture. There is no safety culture. There is just the organization's culture. Right. Culture. You, and once you have two or more people, you have a culture, right? So I, I, I have to, I have to say, I have to say that I think we just became base, we just became best friends. <laughs> because that was going to be my follow up question, right? That was going to be my, that was going to be my follow up question is do you believe that there's such thing as safety culture? Because I have that argument all the time as well. Mm-hmm. And I say it's an argument because sometimes it's an argument. Right? Oh, I have had, I, when you read the book, I've had people spitting, cussing, literally, put, you know, the, you know, the move that um, Beyonce does where she puts her hands out. Yeah, right? yeah, I've yeah. had an adult male. 20 years my senior spit in my face cursing at me and put the hand up in my face and I was That's like one of those oh I'm shorter than you and my knee is over here but I'm not gonna do it right like you don't know if you it, should be angry or impressed right <laughs> I, I didn't even know what to think of that I was just like really you know and it was over a different topic that maybe I'll save for another podcast sure, to get me back sure. on because it'll sure. get us going off track but um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, culture is an interesting thing. And when you put it in perspective of, of something, everyone really needs to consider uh, your listening group, especially something we do that kills our ability to have an influence on culture is is the titles. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. when we we have to be a manager or a director and we have to work up and we fight for that. Right. We want to be um, we want to be at the table. I don't know how many articles I read about the safety person wants to be at the table first. Right. I want to say stop whining. It's unattractive right. and it builds a bad persona around you to all the other leaders. Um, second, you're barking up the wrong tree. Um, talking about deadly practices. If I want to be a director or a leader or a manager or whatever and get that title, what I'm doing is I'm creating a silo for safety. Um, as long as I'm there to run something, I'm going to be held accountable for safety, which by the way, I shouldn't be right. Right. Uh, the right. Leadership of the leadership of the organization should be accountable for their people's performance. We are there to help ensure that they understand what the regulations are, that they, they, 
limit or completely omit, you know, any types of injuries or illnesses or accidents. And in that way, we're advisors. And I have a lot of people complain about, I want to be a director. It has more clout. Guess what? If I'm a director and I'm in safety and I'm in that silo, I'm seen many times as that necessary evil. Whereas if you look at what is safety really, right? Is safety first all the time, 100% of the time? (laughs) It's not. We want it to be, but I get in my car every day and drive. And even though I put my seatbelt on, could I still get an accident? Sure. Yeah. So safety's not first. Otherwise I'd never leave. I'd be in a bubble. Right. And I always, I always point practitioners back to that. Right. I I had on a, I had on a a near and dear friend of mine not too long ago, Ian Allison, who had actually brought a copy of the book, The Goal along with him. Um, And we had a conversation around something very similar to that. And I, I like to share that with safety professionals is that you first have to acknowledge what the actual goal of your organization is. Mm-hmm. The, the the true business purpose of your organization, mm-hmm. right? and and I mean we can we can get way down into that, but let's just say the the business purpose is to produce electricity, right? Or the business, the business purpose, purpose is to make money right? to stay open for whatever <laughs> right. it is, even if to it's stay open, right? Right. 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 So when 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 we have that when we have that conversation with with certain safety folks in particular, mostly safety folks, where it's safety first, safety this, safety that, mm-hmm. it's kind of the same conversation that we have around safety culture. It seems to be with those folks that it's just a buzzword that doesn't result in anything. It's really really meaningless, right? At least yeah. that's what what I find to be. <laughs> yeah, the but they will they will fight. And you know what's bad is we have ingrained in the managers mm-hmm. and leaders of the world that it's so important that they need to say it or else they right lose face. That I I was interviewed for a, a news channel, and I the lady got in an argument with me when I said safety isn't first. They had to stop right. recording and rewind and tell her to drop it because oh, no. she's had it so ingrained, right? I'm like, right. you're wearing high heels right now. Right. Guess what? <laughs> Safety's not first because going up the stairs, you could have tripped and fell. You know, right. it's and, and she just wouldn't get it. So, but it goes with safety too. So if we say safety first, or we want to be the safety director, those silos and that persona that we're putting on is kind of like, this is our silo and this is where we are. And this is you, how you treat us. Whereas if we change the verbiage a little bit, use semantics and say, you know what? We're not safety people because we really... I mean, that's our specialty, but really what's our goal? What you just said, right? We want to keep the doors open. So success, whatever organization is, even if you're a terrorist organization, your goal is to be successful at whatever your goal is, right? Right. And so what are we? What does safety do? Safety helps the organization meet its goal, right? Right, exactly. By keeping people safe so they don't lose money and keeping the environmental environment good so they don't aren't forced to close and go out of business, whatever. So. By safety, doing that, safety's just got that really great kind of it's, – it's really that kind of great – like we were just talking about words. And, and those managers and those leaders are really primed to, again, just try to – they want to say the right things. And as you said, right. we've, we've assigned certain values to those words. And and it, it's still back to the kind of that similar argument around safety culture. Um, safety is just deemed as super extra important basically, right? Right. So, it is, so, but it isn't. Because right. And it, it's doors, no different, right. super annoying. Right, right. And, and what you'll see is in the challenge that I, what I throw back on those folks when they start saying, but safety culture, I'll say, but you don't, your organization is not going around touting your quality culture. Your organization is not going around touting your human resources culture. 
right? So right. it's just, it's just culture. It's still back to those kind of magic buzzwords. Yes. It seems like that just, it, they're, they're really just words that we throw out there to excuse action sometimes, I think. Right. And I, to put in perspective, one of the organizations I did consulting with, the, the leader was probably one of the worst I've ever seen. Like he, you know, we were doing, um, building their risk assessment process, a risk mm-hmm. management process. And, uh, he came in like, no, we're not going to engage with the financial people. Well, by the, you know, most organizations see risk as a financial loss. They don't incorporate health and safety into it, which health and safety is part of it, right? right. The pandemic. Hello, people. Um, <laughs> it's shutting down everything right now. Right. Uh, but we were always seen as a separate, right? It's a, it's not together. We can't combine it. And he didn't hold his people accountable. They were all fighting. Nobody would agree to anything. And he wouldn't step up and say, we need to come to a consensus on how we deal with this as an organization and we need to involve the right people. It was like, no, we'll just keep it in our little health and safety silo. This same person later, I'm not going to say how long later, just in case people can connect the dots, showed up at a very large health and safety organization on a panel as being one of the best leaders and having one of the best health and safety programs in the country. So if you take that, person keeping it in a silo, not empowering his people, not collaborating to do what's best for the organization, just trying to run his thing and then put him in front of people telling them how he did it. And he's being looked at as an example. We have a problem, right? We have a problem. So as safety people, we need to make a change. We need to be critical advisors to success. Semantically, that's factual. Yes, absolutely. Factual because we're critical. If they don't do it, like right now, if we don't have the right programs, people are going out of business, companies are closing, people are getting fired. If we would have been prepared for this, like we should have been, some are, um, this this almost same thing happened back with the H1N1. We didn't shut mm-hmm. the country down, but we had the opportunity to learn and put in place things that right now, this would not be a problem. Exactly. Yep. But we didn't do it. We didn't do it because we lived through it and they're like, oh, it's done. All, all, all is well. And we, we, we do that in our organizations all the time, right? Maybe on a, a much smaller scale, but we, uh, we get past it. We manage the story and we're okay. And okay. All is, all is well. And we don't yeah. actually learn. And as we kind of said, yeah. learning is that that's the only, that's the only magic stuff we've got here to, yeah. to really grow betterment in anything, right? Um, yeah. what, one thing that I'd like to throw out there is, uh, as we kind of continue down that path of culture is what are some of the, the, the bigger cultural impactors or some common cultural impactors that you see uh, that organizations don't necessarily think about? What are this? What are some things that, you know, but negative and positive that maybe organizations should be thinking about that they're not as it relates to their safety or safety culture <laughs> to, to their culture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I kind of touched on it a little, but I think we really need to flip the script and stop looking at regulations. I, mm. I, I, in, in the way we've done things, and we need to take more of a risk-based approach. Right. And if you really go out and assess all your risks, which I've done with organizations and I, you know, they grunt and cry through the whole thing. But when it's done, you're able to justify all of the things that need to be done, all the resources you need, all the people based on doing thorough risk assessments and putting in place programs to actually protect the organization and the people and the environment from those risks. That's in the first book. You'll see when you get it, but we really need to do that. We need to take a a risk-based approach versus a regulatory versus, you know, everything. Cause guess what? When you take a risk-based approach, like with the bow tie as an example, 
where you look at what could cause a risk event. And then after the event, what could be the occurrence? Could people die? Could you lose right. money, reputation? If you take that, you're no longer the safety person. You are now an advisor and a leader for the organization's success because you're defining the whole map, financial, reputational, safety, health, environmental. You're defining that whole map of what the organization needs to do to reduce the risk. Hmm. So if we can start from, you know, just that simple thing, it'd be very beneficial uh, going forward. And then the other big, big one is, I don't, I can't stress this enough. Audits have to die. They have Mm -hmm. to be buried 200 feet under the ground and we need to get rid of the word like completely. Um, auditing has turned into a negative. I, I, I really, I've had people argue, you know, the spending coming out (laughs) that, um, (laughs) you know, that we audit, we do a great job and it's part of our culture. Well, guess what y'all? I don't care who you are. If you're audited, put it in perspective. The IRS is going to audit you. How happy are you with that? Exactly. Regardless yeah. of how nice the auditor is, you're getting audited. It's and still it's always used in that similar kind. Of, it's just sticks and carrots, right? It, it is. Yeah, it really it's is. it's we're going to beat you into better compliance, or we're going to incentivize you into better compliance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in a lot of the situations as we we're just talking about mm-hmm. with malicious compliance, mm-hmm. compliance doesn't equal safety, right? No, and no, it doesn't. Get that make through is hard safe. sometimes. Yeah. And so with that, I get the, well, what are we going to do? We need to make, you know, we need to assure things are being done right. And I said, yeah, but think, think of it in, in your shoes. What would you like right. to happen if it was your, your tax guy coming in to audit you? Do you want an audit or would you possibly look at it differently if the IRS is coming in not to audit you? But to do a gap assessment to say, hey, let's see where you're at. Mm-hmm. Right. And let's see if you've had any issues, if you missed anything, because one, we're trying to make the IRS better and and allocate our resources better to the people, to you, to the you know country as a whole, whatever the case may be. Uh, and we need your help to identify those those things that might be trends. Mm-hmm. At the same point, we need to see where you're having trouble because we want to be able to offer you additional resources and help you. I mean, if you're behind millions of dollars, how can we help you close that gap? Right. You know, can we help you develop a plan towards it versus the stick? We're going to find you millions of dollars, right? And we're out to get you. So if you change the approach to where you're going to do an assessment and the, the purpose of the assessment is to learn where you and leadership need to improve and then to learn where they have gaps that you can offer them help with, which by the way, every gap assessment and culture assessment I've ever done almost always leads to the leader of that location mm-hmm. or that organization needing leadership training. Right. right. You know, cause the competency isn't there. Um, I've very rarely not had that come up. I've had a couple. Um, but by identifying that, you're not saying, Hey, here's this problem. Fix it. You're saying, Oh, I see there's a gap. You, we haven't trained you well enough to run this organization, to run this branch, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Here, we're going to give you this, uh, these additional resources and we're going to get you some additional training and we're going to put in, you know, in place some plans to help you improve. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, what do you, what you used to call that personal and professional development? I don't think it exists much anymore. Right. Right. Um, well, and so I, I think that's, that's such that a way. difference, right? That's such a difference, um, from, from where organizations have typically been and kind of the old way and just, 
it's kind of old way, new way, I guess is the only way to put it, mm-hmm. right? But in kind of kind of the old style of of of, of management um, was when you would ha- you would come in, you would audit, you would you would you would do those things, and it would be, hey, you all need to be better, you need to try harder, mm-hmm. you need to do more, mm-hmm. you need to care more, right? That that's mm-hmm. a common thing that organizations. Uh, whether they say that directly or not, that's what they mean is you need to care more because of X, Y, Z. And when really, truly you have folks that work for you, even that leader, right? That's, that probably cares a lot. Um, probably has, has the, the care is not the broken part normally. Right. Um, but the organization has done a disservice by not really giving them those skills or helping to give them those skills in, in that particular example that we were just talking about. But that's such a shift from, Hey, you need to be better. This is what I found during this audit to, mm-hmm. Hey, we together as an organization um, need mm-hmm. to fix this and learn from it. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's such a different, yeah. different conversation. And it really circles back to some of what we were saying at the beginning about, you know, words do matter in these situations, mm-hmm. right? I mean, or, or employees uh, at various organizations that they feel that, right. That, that uh, they feel those pointed messages. They feel the you-based messages versus the we-based mm-hmm. messages. Um, yeah. They feel like, fact, especially post-audit and post-whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. Semantics and communication are huge. Um, I've, I've put together a leading beyond best keynote series. That's something mm-hmm. I've done um, and go around. And one of them is communicating better. And it, it includes the semantics and perceptions and, and the way, you know, we um, are perceived. Yeah, right. And the way we perceive others, the way we right. communicate, and that's so important, and it's missing. Right, and I share that with folks. Um, I share that that kind of tip with folks when we start talking uh, culture in general, and especially around communications, and especially around to leaders. I always share with them this: if there's one piece of, there's just one tip that I can share with them. It's this, at least, is that um, no matter what you're doing, especially when you're in a position of leadership, you're either helping or harming your culture. Right. There's, there's, yeah. there's no writing in the middle, right? Yeah. It's always, yeah. it's always good or it's not great, right? It's either helping or it's hurting. Uh, and just to see a, a, at least the leaders that I interact with, just to see their eyes kind of open to that and go, Oh, okay. That, that's a good jumping off point. I've, I found at mm-hmm. least with, with folks is to get them to understand that, you know, the words that you do use, especially mm-hmm. when you're, you're in one of those positions, right? They, they do matter. You know, the way that you interact with an employee when they bring you a concern or a problem. Um, even if in the grand scheme of things in your world, it's very minor. If they're bringing it to you, as an example, it's, it's probably the biggest thing in their world right now. Right. Uh, and getting right. them to understand some of those basic little things that they're either helping or harming their, their locations culture uh, yeah. at any given time has seemed, has, has seemed to be uh, pretty huge for me. And then backing that up, obviously, with some other stuff. But when, yeah. when, when I get those random DMs of, Hey, how do we work on this? That's usually the first piece that I like to share. Um, is there any kind of, any kind of pro tips that you would like to share with folks out there? Anything, any advice you could offer to them in and around communicating better or in and around those interactions or just culture in general? Anything that you'd like to share with folks? Yeah. If you can do anything like right now, especially during the downtime. Go out and learn about body language. Mm. I mean, just learn. There are so many things we miss as safety people and don't even know it. I didn't know it forever. Right. So the whole, you know, you're doing better or worse. I've been told for years, I'm at type A, you know, I was told you need to listen better. You need to listen better. And I thought I was. And it wasn't until I really learned about interpreting other people's body language and mine, how mine can be being perceived that, that I learned that one of the critical things about being an influencer and being a leader. So if you want your leadership to change or respect you or whatever the case may be, you need to take the time to get to know 
that specific person, that group of people, whatever it is, and, and learn those body language cues. And, and, you know, um, the, my favorite one is, uh, you know, somebody flips you off, not on purpose, but like they start scratching their nose with their middle finger, right. or, you know, their ear with their middle finger. They're actually flipping you off, which means you have severely pissed them off. Right. And if you don't pick up on that body language signal, guess what? Every single thing you're saying or trying to convince them of, you're just digging a deeper hole of hate for them. They, they, and you don't even know you're doing it. So go out and learn about body language, um, uh, Google it, watch videos, um, read up on it, learn some of the, the basic things. It will help you so, so much um, in being an effective leader, whether you're leading up, down, around, influencing others. Um, you really need to learn to listen with your eyes and your senses and your ears, you know, all of it. No, that is that is excellent because that is that exactly. There's so much of that that uh, again, organizations just don't really pass on or give to those leaders, right? Mm-hmm. We've mentioned some of those other pieces at the beginning, but yeah, body language that's that's excellent, excellent advice, folks. That's one piece that that I encourage folks to jump into as well because I recently kind of went down that rabbit hole too. There's so much to learn there, mm-hmm. uh, and even for those of us that have 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 looked at it in the past. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing how much more there is even today <laughs> compared to a month ago or a year ago. Mm-hmm. The last time you read into it, it's amazing. Um, so we kind of touched on, on some of the COVID-19 stuff and kind of all that that's going on right now. Um, what's your take on the whole situation? How are things looking for you and where you're at? Well, for me, I'm great. Um, I'm because I'm such a, preparer, planner, right? <laughs> um, I have my own family do uh, many risk assessments whenever we do something. Right. Um, but because of that, you know, I didn't have to rush out and get toilet paper. I didn't have to rush out and get paper towels. Right. I, I, I have what I need. Um, I've always, you know, kind of, you're a hoarder or whatever. I'm not. <laughs> I just keep what I need. And then I have the ability to help others in some cases. So right now my family and I are making hand sanitizer. Um, we had to get awesome. creative and we're actually using 151. College, if you remember, wine punch. Oh boy. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we've bought real agave plants and we're out there making hand sanitizers to share. Wow. Um, That's great. Because we are. And you know, if we get sick, we get sick. I'm not going to rush to the hospital and add chaos to, you know, there's one of the problems we're having the flu season. I know this is worse than the flu, but the flu season, we're so familiar with it, right? right? We get sick. We have the flu. We stay home. We get better. Sometimes people don't get better. In fact, um, they don't even know the number of deaths. I think they think it's over 60 to 80,000 just in the last four year flu season or four month flu season. but there's, we don't have people rushing to the hospital. Like, oh my gosh, I coughed and they go to the hospital. Right. Um, you know, or get in line to get tested for the flu because we just are familiar with it and there isn't cures for all flus or, you know, there just, there just isn't. Um, but the problem we're having now is that the media and everything's exasperated this to the point that people are freaking out, yeah. you know, and they're yeah. running to the hospitals and they're running to the doctors. And if they weren't sick, guess what? Being surrounded by all those people that were sick. Now you're sick. And that's what we found with so much yeah. of that stuff. I mean, it, it really does come from 
Uh, again, the, the media likes to get into the sensation, to really sensationalize things, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. But you see that manifest. It's funny that you mentioned the toilet paper. That's something that we talk about when we get into kind of the, the panic hoarding mode. And it's really those folks, um, they, they go out and they buy a pallet of toilet paper, not because they, they, they really think it's going to help them, but it's almost like it's their way to feel like they have a little more control. Security. Mm-hmm. But yes, it's, it's it's a it's a pallet of quilted northern security blanket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, yeah, and you know, really, really what it is. Yeah. They only <laughs> need that because they're not prepared. If you understand right. what's needed and you risk assess, just like I was saying for business, you do that for your family, mm-hmm. your life and go, what are the risks that can hit? Could a pandemic hit? By the way, you know, a crisis and continuity plan. If you're a safety person, don't know what that is. You need to look it up because you should be involved in the development of that. Even though it's business related, you're a critical part of it. And you need to understand that when this stuff happens, that's what's in place. Here's the gaps you have. Here's the responses you have to the gaps. Um, You won't have this panic. This is insane that we're here. I look around in dismay. And my kids are doing this online school. That's just horrific. It's like so easy for them because nobody knows how to do it. I mean, if we were set up right and we did have medical like Canada provided for, I'm going to go down a different, but if we had these things, you know, Mm -hmm. in place for, as a country, we had certain things, everybody had medical coverage. So all these people getting fired wouldn't be freaked out because now they don't have medical coverage. If everybody was guaranteed to have internet and, and a computer, if you have one, great. If you don't, you could apply one, apply for one. Um, if we had these things in place, this wouldn't be a problem. Um, we just don't put in place the what ifs, the black swans. We see that exactly. it could happen and we say it's not going to. So, um, yeah, it's just disheartening that, what? that we're here again. And you, you kind of hit a couple of things that I was going to ask, which was, which was the next question was really going to be what's the safety practitioners role in this? And I think you really laid it out there well. Um, um, kind of just a snippet of that was that, you know, for safety folks out there that are listening, if you do not understand what business continuity is, you're going to find out very, very soon because you're going to be involved, I, I'm sure. I don't think they are. I don't think they I are. I hope so. <laughs> I don't, it's just like the risk program at their you're right. If they're, if their financial people are running it, they don't want the safety people right. in there. Right. Business continuity is normally not owned by safety people. It's well, owned by it's, business people in the communications department. I think it's it's very interesting because um, I've, I'd i heard it and I know several other folks uh, kind of on the safety FM family network had kind of dove into it. I know I'd heard Todd Conklin jump into it a little bit. I've heard others jump into mm-hmm. it. Um, but we found ourselves in this world where we've, where we've really valued lean efficiency above all else. Yes. And yep. we found ourselves in a position to where we've gotten so lean, we're to the bone and we're really, I mean, cause I, I've listened to a lot of these interviews and, and, just as with everyone else, you know, you, you dive into YouTube and you're listening to interviews with doctors and watching the news a little bit and this and the other. And you hear about all these kind of shortages that we were having before this ever even happened. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, it, it's coming from that. We, we've really leaned ourselves into a position of not being able to respond. Right. And I think right. I, if I, I hope um, and, and I'm not extremely optimistic, <laughs> but I hope that that is at least the lesson that some organizations take from this is that mm-hmm. there's still a balance Right. You still don't you don't want to get yourself so lean that you can't respond to uncertainty because we're always going to live in an uncertain world. And we just, you know, having a little a little uh, a little margin is not a bad thing. We we give margin, it seems like, to everything else other than safety. We give margin to budget. We give margin margin to schedule. But when it comes to something like this that we need to respond to, we cut it right to the bone. 
it seems yeah. like at least. Yeah. You know why we do that? Because we don't understand the risk. Right, exactly. If you don't yeah. understand the risk, I mean, this whole Swiss cheese thing, that's another thing that needs to die because mm-hmm. it doesn't <laughs> really show the risk, right? It just right. shows this will prevent the event. But guess what? The stuff happens. I'm when sorry it's so linear. People, you can go for the zero accidents. That's not real. If you're getting zero work, accidents, right. there's stuff hidden. So we are, we, I, I have to say it again, we are definitely best friends now. So just <laughs> FYI. <laughs> Right. I'm right. looking more and more forward to reading this book. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In fact, when but you it, get to it, you mentioned balance in the book. I've actually uh, invented a new scale mm. and it's a multi-point scale. And the reason is we tend to look at things as black and white. We are right. familiar with the two point scale and like a tray, you know, the two trays right. and it's either right, wrong, you know, too much, too mm. little. And, and the problem yeah. when we do that. We, we are missing the big picture of all the things that be, can be impacted. Well, and it, I always say with a multi-point scale, if you focus on anything too much on, on that multi-point fo- scale, you get the stuff where you're, you're having too much focus and you're increasing the risk in other right. areas, but you don't see it because you're so used to that two-point scale. Right. So we need to change the way we do when we call something balanced. Mm. Yeah. And it, it, we, we like that. We we like that 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 those very simple, clean, linear things. Just as you mentioned, this with cheese model, we like to try to take very complex things and make it linear, and it doesn't do us any favors yeah. when we do that. No, it uh, doesn't. We're really just we're really just dumbing down the complexity of stuff, and it doesn't really do us any favors. And I totally agree with you. You know, that's what that's what uh, I had someone talking to me about the the, the Swiss cheese model the other day. Mm. They're like, well, you know, if you do this and you do this and you slide this this way, and I'm like, but what happens when you just go around all of that? Right, we, we forget yeah. that that's the world that we live in. Well, you're showing yeah. me slices of Swiss cheese, and the real answer yeah. here is okay. I get that this, the holes might align, but what if I just choose to go around the entire model? Yeah. <laughs> just... Well, they'll say that that's holes <laughs> aligning, and that's fine. But the problem is, you still have the accident when the holes align. Right, right. right. Yeah. And you can't, you can't Swiss cheese. I don't know if you know. There's little bitty tiny holes mm-hmm. that you can't see. So just because you're exactly. smart enough to identify holes that might align, you probably are missing some. Right, right, you and are. and and it's still and it even gets down. This that's a whole other rabbit hole that we can get down in. Yeah. Um, as far as even to the, the the here's my air quotes again, preventing reoccurrence. Right. Right. We're we're really at that point to where um, there's no more low hanging fruit. Right. Um, I would venture to a guess and really argue that most organizations don't even have two ankle sprains that are similar. Right. Because we, we've really managed down our, our information set is so small. And that's why I encourage a lot of folks to really flip over onto the other side of that and really start trying to investigate why things go right. That there's mm-hmm. a lot of value in that. And there's a lot more data in that because we usually get things right way more often than we get things yeah. wrong. Because if we didn't, we wouldn't be in business back to our point of, right. of our, our mission being successful. Right? But that's right. a whole, that's a whole nother rant we can, we can get into. Yeah. Now you're my yeah. best friend because it's the positive. That's um, positively better is one of my other keynotes. Cause mm. if we focus on the negative, you're just going to, you're just going to eat away at the negative and you're not going to be looking at the positive, which is another thing you need right. to be actively involved right. in the leadership circle. The circle of trust, right? right? You need to be the one saying, here's the value we bring. ROIs and stuff. What is the positive? Um, and it's, it's, we just really have a hard time doing that. Even right now, you know, <laughs> coronavirus. Yeah, well, I heard so much negative. It's ridiculous. Organizations struggle with positive things in general, I found. Um, um, it's a, 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 a 
a term that we kind of coined in some of my circles for some of our, our organization's approach to certain things. We call it starchy. <laughs> organizations are not very peopley. They're very starchy. And that's been a lot, a lot of the mission that I found myself on um, back to just trying to make the world a little bit better place to work um, is that I found that a lot of the mission that I find myself pursuing is just trying to help organizations to be a little more peopley. You know, yeah, just, yeah. just to be, to, to feel less like a, you know, when I get a communication as an example from, from, from an organization to feel less like I'm getting a communication from the IRS and feel like I'm getting a letter from one of my friends. Right? Yes. yes. <laughs> it's an interesting a, path that we do that. We, we've wanted humanity to become so corporate. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right, well, it's right, human- right. Look at it, look at it from the bigger step back. It's humanity mm-hmm. as a right. whole. Right. I can't tell you right. how often I get the comment like, wow, you're so positive, even when stuff's awful. Um, and, and you don't see me not positive because I, I just like when I have the flu, I choose to stay away from people when I'm in a not positive mood because I don't want to spread that. Right. Right. Um, contagion, watch out if I become negative. Right. But humanity as a whole is very egotistically driven. We're driven by our egos. Right. And we tend to be more negative we'll put on a positive front if it's to you know for the media or whatever but this is a personal life work life whatever we we as a whole tend to focus on the the negative and and with the media's help and social media and all this other stuff it it doesn't help i remember going to canada and it was like positive news everywhere right they didn't like negative news they they really tried to promote positive news I turn on ours. I want to gag within like five minutes. I, don't I, I can't even turn it on. Yeah. I, can't. I can't. I haven't I can't even turn it on for years. I'll exactly. And if it's something, if it's, I'll go out and I'll seek maybe some news through, through online. Right. But it's just actually sitting down and watching the news. It's just, it, it's, I'm right there with you. Um, and even in the social media, right. I mean, the, the um, I forget where I'd read this and I've heard this several times, but even in around the algorithms for social media, they're, they're really tuned to show you things that will upset you yes. because you're more likely to interact with it. Right? Yep. So it it's like, really? You're going to show me this stuff that I hate that, that makes yeah. me mad. That doesn't seem like something I want to be a part of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say, I mean, and this is, this is, this is non-safety related for all the, all the, uh, the hop nerd listeners out there. That is one thing other than my kind of hop nerd presence of, of uh, the podcast presence and, and kind of LinkedIn and stuff. I've almost completely disconnected from social media, um, at least in a personal way, because I just, I, same thing. It's just like, I just don't like looking at all the garbage. I just get so tired yeah. of it after a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, I haven't disconnected because I really do want to have an impact. Right. So I'm the person out there with the book that says culture killers. I'm the one out there saying, Hey guys, Keep it real. Hashtag keep it real. That's awesome. um, you know, hashtag lead beyond best, you know, those type That's of things. Because awesome. we've got to change things. And being the negative one, like I said early on, being the one complaining about everything we don't get and all the problems we have, it's not helping us. If right. we can turn it to positives with the value that we add for the organization and start reading people's body language so we communicate with them in a way that they find it helpful and comforting, you're going to see a huge change across yeah. the planet. And, and so we don't want to, and that's something I'll ask you to join the journey, is we don't want to disconnect. We want to connect in a way that's going to make the world a better place in the future. If you think of that before you have any communications, is this going to upset somebody or is this going to help educate them and inspire them? Are we going to lead people to better? 
And if you can change that, just ask yourself those questions before you post something. You can post things that are dr- dramatic and and get attention because there's so much out there in a positive right. way. Right, right. You know, instead of complaining about somebody, say, here's how we could help them. Love your enemies more, right? Love your friends. Love your enemies more. What can you I, do to help them? What can you do to make a difference? Stop blaming other people and say, how can I personally impact this? That is awesome. I, I, great message. Again, um, any, any, I was going to say any final words of wisdom, but I think you, you, you laid it out right there. <laughs> that was, no, I have many more, but we can save them for the future. <laughs> I think I probably overwhelmed yeah. most of your listeners. I hope no, I think this this is no, this has been absolutely awesome. I cannot thank you enough for coming on. This has been phenomenal. Uh, I know that folks will love this. I, I don't, I don't have any doubts about that at all because um, I've had a blast. I, don't, I, I hope you have too, but I've had a blast. <laughs> I have, I have, and I want to make this offer to you and your listeners. If mm-hmm. anybody wants to go to my website, and I have something called Commit to Better which is really just doing what you do. Safety yeah. people already do it, but to try to make the world a better place in any way you can, which is doing your job could fall into that. Just by making that commitment, there's really nothing, no physical, anything required besides that. Uh, you'll get the a code for a free copy of my ebook. That is awesome. And that your website is www.talaser.com, correct? Yes. Laser with an S. Like the way it was really spelled until laser tag came out. There you so. go. So that's T A L A S E R dot com. And you're on LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff too, right? So I'm sure people can find you that way and, and yes. uh, all that kind of stuff. So absolutely. Please, please folks, make sure you go check out the website. I went and checked it out, um, prior when I was pulling together some of my notes. And again, that's, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of great stuff there. So, um, again, if you're not following along with Tabitha, make sure you follow her on LinkedIn and anywhere else that you have social media. I'm not sure where all you're connected at, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or just reach out to me. I'll set up, I set up 30 minute calls and it's like free coaching consulting. I just give it away all the time. So if you want to talk more or have questions about something I said, or you completely disagree, or if you want to share learnings for the future books, um, I am always collecting more data and putting it in my spreadsheets. So. Uh, please just reach out. I'm I'm a down to earth girl next door, no mute button kind of person. So <laughs> if you can dish it, I can take it. There you go. And again, I, I can't I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. This has been a pleasure. Absolutely. Well, holy cow! What did you think about that? I know the answer. I don't have to guess. I don't have to speculate. I know that you loved it because I loved it. Tabitha is amazing. That conversation was awesome. Uh, there's a lot. We kept going and going and going after we officially ended the podcast and we kind of decided that we're probably just going to have to get back together and <laughs> do some more of this because she's just amazing. So make sure you check her out. T.A. Laser. That's laser with an S. The OG spelling of laser. T.A. Laser dot com. She's on LinkedIn. She's on all that kind of stuff. Reach out to her. She's amazing. Let me know what you thought. Like it. Love it. Got to have more of it. Send me an email. Again, join us for those live shows every Wednesdays and Fridays. We look forward to having you there. You can text in, you can call in, you can do all that sort of fun stuff. Check out the website, www.thehopnerd.com. Until next time, this is Sam Goodman, The Hop Nerd, signing off. Bye, everybody. Bye. (laughs) 